Welcome to the Mini Culture Podcast, Season 5 from KFAI Community Radio. This was Prejudice Town, St. Paul, Minneapolis. I looked for opportunities to basically kick it in the face. All hopped up on Jesus and the social gospel. What a drag queen might call not a kind light. This season on the Mini Culture Podcast, stories about Minnesota history. I'm Ahanti Young. The plain, uninteresting Mary Fridley Price. Not the sort of girl anyone would notice, except now she done leapt over a cliff to save her poor dog. The dull and now very dead girl was suddenly front page headlines. No one was more grief-stricken than her charming husband, Frederick Price, who found comfort in his wife's inheritance and in the arms of his mistress. Within months, the tragic accident was back on the front pages, but this time as Minneapolis's most notorious murder trial of 1916. KFAI's Britt Ahmed has more. Thursday, January 6, 1916. For the first time in a week, Frederick T. Price was not the focus of attention. He stood off to the side, leisurely puffing his cigar. He, like the other spectators, jammed onto the thin, icy shoulder of East River Road at the border of Minneapolis and St. Paul, fixed on the 12 jurors leaning over a short wooden fence hastily erected last summer. The court had ordered this little outing so everyone could better picture what might have happened the night of the alleged crime. Prosecuting attorney George Armstrong was doing his part to explain it, directing the jurors' gaze down the steep plunge on the other side of the fence. Meanwhile, photographers jostled for better angles. Newspapermen needed cold fingers before jotting observations. Some of those observations were, of course, about Fred Price. How did he look beneath his derby and thin overcoat? Guilty? There was movement at the cliff. Armstrong had moved around behind the fence to better direct the jurors' gaze down the 41-foot drop to the spot on the Mississippi Riverside where Mary Fridley Price had fallen to her death in her tailored blue suit and furs. But just then, the attorney's legs slipped with nothing between him and the yawning chasm. A jolt of tension ran through the crowd until, scrambling, the attorney caught his slide. Be careful, George, said Fred Price to the man who was trying to put him behind bars. We need you for a while yet. Laughter rippled to the frozen onlookers. One gaunt figure, off in his own world, didn't laugh. This was David Fridley, son of one of the oldest families in Minnesota, a wealthy man of business, and the father of the dead woman. Mary couldn't even lie still in her grave. Weeks before, her corpse had been exhumed so her body could tell the story Mary had never been given the chance to. That story of her death by Cliff was in papers across the country. Everyone wanted to know, did he or didn't he? Did Fred Price shove his wife off the cliff for her money? 
or did Mary, as Fred swore up and down, tumble to her death trying to save her dog? A photographer snapped a photo of the alleged wife murderer. Fred Price merely offered a smile. Better waste another film and get a good picture. I don't look good with that stub of a cigar in my face. The Fred Price murder trial was the most sensational story in Minneapolis the winter of 1916. The tragedy that led to the court case grew out of a rather ordinary afternoon. On November 28th, 1914, they go out for some entertainment. They, they go out for dinner with Charles, a, a friend of theirs, before going to see the Prince of Pilsen at the Metropolitan Theater. Sarah Given is an historian who's written about the Fred Price murder trial for the Noka County Historical Society. Afterward, Mary said her dog Chum would like some air, and Fred suggested that they visit St. Paul to look for some new curtains in their apartment. A brand new apartment, just off Loring Park. And Chum was more than a dog to Mary. He was the child she didn't have, and her constant companion when business took Fred away, often for months at a time. Fred was a traveling salesman, though lately he and Charles had made a stab at their own venture, a collections business, but that had gone belly up. They stopped at the apartment to pick up the dog and, and crossed the Mississippi River to the Franklin Street Bridge and headed south on Mississippi River Boulevard. The drive along what is now East River Road made for a scenic outing. As Fred piloted the massive Cadillac along the boulevard, the naked branches stood out in silhouette against the gathering night. There's no hint in the dark, unless you were familiar with the area, that just beyond that fringe of trees, the land dropped off in a cliff. At some point, Fred announced that the engine was acting up or wasn't working right, and he pulled over so he and Charles could be all manly and pop the hood, see what's going on. Mary got out of the car with her dog and walked over near the road. And in one version of the story, the early version, uh, soon the men heard Mary yelling for Fred, and they left the car to, surprise, surprise, find Mary at the base of a steep bluff, moaning and crying for help. Within an hour, Mary and Fred were squeezed in the back of an ambulance, speeding to a hospital. But it was no use. The massive fracture to her skull was fatal. The next day's newspaper bore the headline, Woman Killed in Attempt to Save pet dog. Mary's death was ruled an accident. Led out of the Cadillac, Chum had made a run for the trees, but instead of a nice sloping wood, he'd found a drop-off. Mary, in an effort to save him, lost her footing and went over with him. It was horrible and tragic and utterly believable, but Sarah Given says two developments led to a very different version of the story. Fred attempted to get some money out of the park board. The bluffs were part of the Minneapolis park system. Fred sued the park board because if there had been lights and a fence there, Mary never would have gone over. And the second development. David was suspicious. David Fridley, Mary's wealthy father, had harbored his doubts as far back as 1907 when his school teacher daughter came back from a short vacation with shocking news. 
she met a scallywag of a character, Fred Price. A traveling salesman, not an ideal match for Fridley, but it wasn't as if Mary had suitors knocking down her door. Reports of Mary's appearance say she was slight, pale, and boring. Maybe she never wanted to marry, but now she did. David bowed to her wishes, but with a word of caution. He's advising his daughter to be careful about her money. So women aren't allowed to vote yet at that time. Really, you get married and you are connected with your husband. If you don't make preparations for it, all of your money and your property are going to be his. He's going to be making the decisions. And it looks like Mary did do some things prior to the marriage to help separate that money from him. So there was a divide that he couldn't access it while she was alive. Caveat. We'll be back with more from the Mini Culture Podcast in just a second. Support for the Miniculture Podcast on KFAI comes from Hennepin History Museum in Minneapolis. At the Hennepin History Museum, you can learn about your community through the stories of people, places, and things from our past. The museum's mission is to bring the diverse histories of Hennepin County to life and to help people understand their world through exhibits, collections, public programs, a magazine, and a research library. Learn more about member-supported Hennepin History Museum at hennepinhistory.org. Now back to Murder Cliff, the death of Mary Fridley Price, produced by Britt Amit. When Mary Fridley Price died, November 28, 1914, the police and the coroner both agreed it had been an accident. She'd fallen over a cliff along a Minneapolis parkway, trying to save her dog, Chum. She died on the way to the hospital. Chum, severely injured in his fall, was later put out of his misery by the police. Historian Sarah Given says Mary's husband, Fred Price, wanted the Minneapolis Park Board to pay for her death, and that was his first mistake. The Park Board looked into it more and was a little bit suspicious that um, Mary was so far from the edge. Like if she had slipped and fell, she would have been much closer to the base. But if she was pushed, that momentum would have sent her further away from the base, which is where she was found. Fred abruptly dropped the lawsuit when another piece of information came out. He'd been married before Mary. This wasn't the surprise. The surprise was that through a technical error unknown even to Fred, his divorce had never been filed, and that meant he was still married to the first, and therefore his marriage to Mary was invalid. This whole turn of events came about because Fred had made a second mistake. He'd underestimated his former father-in-law. David Fridley didn't believe Mary's death was accidental, so he hired a private investigator, and that investigator said it was murder. 
January 1916, Fred Price was squeezed next to his defense attorney, cameras capturing his every tick and gesture. Morning and evening newspapers breathlessly reported the latest developments in his murder trial, like the fractured skull of Mary Fridley Price exhumed from the grave and stripped of its flesh so that prosecuting attorney George Armstrong could settle it on the table in front of the man who'd once kissed its lips. Now at the end of the trial's first week, prosecutor Armstrong delivered what he believed would be the death stroke to Fred's claims of innocence. Charles Etchison was really the prosecutor's star witness, and he was the one that was out with Mary and Fred that night. The night, just over a year ago, when Charles, invited by Fred, had accompanied the couple and their dog on the drive that had ended so horribly. Fred specifically wanted a witness because if there were questions, it wasn't just him saying what happened. There were two people saying what happened. Fred claimed Mary fell trying to save her dog, but Charles said he'd been roped into a murder that his friend had been planning for months. David C. Smith, an historian of the Minneapolis park system to which the Mississippi Bluffs belong, says Fred couldn't have picked a better location. The river gorge between Minneapolis and St. Paul is the only true river gorge in the whole length of the Mississippi River. The bluffs are up to almost 200 feet above the river. And there's no other place in the Mississippi River where the, where the bluffs are that high right along the river. It's probably the steepest place <laughs> in Minneapolis. There, you know, there are no cliffs here. <laughs> so it was the only place you could bump somebody and they'd take a tumble. So Charles testifies in the promise that charges are going to be dropped against him. He testified that after Mary stepped from the car with Chum, Fred led her under the wire fence to the edge of the bluff and shoved her off the cliff, and then flung Chum down the cliff alongside her. But she wasn't dead. They could hear her moaning. They both scrambled down the cliff. Mary was still alive. She was hurt but she probably would have survived. And as Charles turns his back, he sees Fred raise a rock and hit Mary, bashing her head with a rock. He'd have to get under, get out and get under to fix his little machine. He was just dying to cuddle his queen. But every minute... Finally, Fred Price took the stand in his own defense. This was his chance to clear his name. Did he bash his wife's head in with a rock, thus delivering the killing blow? His defense attorney wanted to know. No, said Fred, who looked and sounded like your next-door neighbor. She fell off a cliff, and that could kill anybody. Then why would his friend Charles say he had hit her with a rock? Well, Fred hated to speak ill of Charles, but his buddy had problems. The defense attorney backed this up with testimony from a doctor who supplied the state star witness with morphine. But didn't you, Fred, give Charles a big chunk of change after Mary's death? Yes, a loan. But if all of this were true, then why was Fred still facing murder charges? The defendant leaned forward eagerly because, he said, the dead woman's father, David Fridley, couldn't accept her death. He'd even hired an investigator to tail Fred for 10 months to prove that it had been murder. 
and to get back the money and lands David had given his daughter and which Fred had inherited after her death. Stingy David had already taken back most of the estate once his investigator found out Fred wasn't legally divorced from his first wife and therefore not entitled to Mary's wealth. Sarah Given says money wasn't the only possible motive for murder. He fell in love with this beautiful young stenographer, Carrie Olson, and he wanted to be with her, and he wanted Mary's money. Fred Price didn't bat an eye at the question. Yeah, she'd been his mistress, but that made him an adulterer, not a murderer. The fate of Fred Price was now in the hands of the jury. The two-week trial had left spectators and newspaper readers befuddled. Where once there had been absolute certainty of guilt or innocence, doubt had crept in. And all Fred needed for an acquittal was reasonable doubt. January 15, 1916, the jury returned with their verdict. Fred Price was convicted of the murder of Mary Fridley Price, and he spent the rest of his life at Stillwater Prison. Mary's father, David Fridley, may have found justice with the verdict, but no peace. Ten years later, still grieving, he would go into his cellar and hang himself. And the hated son-in-law would soon follow him to the grave. Fred Price, whose every word and gesture had captivated a city and a nation for two weeks in 1916, quietly passed away in 1930, to the end, proclaiming his innocence. This is Brit Ahmed for KFAI. And that's it from the Mini Culture Podcast. Britt Ahmet produced today's episode. Support for the Mini Culture Podcast comes from the Minnesota Arts and Cultural Heritage Fund. Support also comes from the Hennepin History Museum. Our theme music is by Javier Santiago. The Mini Culture Podcast on KFAI is edited by Ryan Dawes and Melissa Olson. Until next time, I'm Ahanti Young. Thank you.